I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. That's our new intro. (laughs) We hope you're ready for Spooky Shit Part 2. Yes, um, because I don't know about you, but Halloween is not over. Halloween is forever, and it lives in our hearts year-round. So this week, you have everything from Satan to axe murders to reincarnation, not to spoil it too badly. Um, And we are just going to spook you up and spook you down and... I don't know where that was going. That got a little dirtier than I meant for it to somehow. That's okay. That's okay. Um, I wanted to start off really, really quickly. Um, I had my true crime tours of Elmwood Cemetery this past weekend. We are recording this um, shortly after Halloween and they were awesome. And I had some really great people go on the tour and I hope you're listening. I hope you enjoyed your treat bags. Um, and then by the time this airs, I will have done my November what's the Saturday six November six tour so um you know if you're if you went to that yeah that was a great tour too wasn't it (laughs) wow it's wonderful they're all great (laughs) yeah every single one of them Mm um I did have oh I meant to tell you all this but I'll tell you all this I meant to say this off mic but I'll go ahead and share it now (laughs) what was weird was um on Halloween Kim, who is over Elmwood, if you're listening, hi, Kim. <laughs> we were talking about the cemetery and how, you know, it's paranormal stuff. And she doesn't really believe in the paranormal. And I'm like, I hope it's real. Don't know if it is, blah, blah, blah. And then I go on my tour. And as I'm wrapping mine up, she starts her tour. I almost fell on my first story, oh, like, no. had to stop myself. And I screamed out, Holy mother of cow. <laughs> Which is not normally how I finish that sentence, but I'm so glad I did in front of almost 50 strangers. And um, oh, I love it. Then when I was telling, yeah, of all things. And then on my next to last story, I was telling the story of Alma Thede, which if y'all have listened to this podcast, you know that story. And every time, I see it. Yes, (laughs) every time I tried to tell her story, the train came by and blew. It was literally me saying, "So Alma, so then Alma, like it was almost like a movie. It was so bad, and I finally turned around and had to yell at her, like Alma, chill." Well, then Kim goes on her tour and she texts me later and she's like, oh, hey, how'd your tour go? And I was like, oh, it's fine. I almost fell. It was hilarious. And she's like, I did fall. <laughs> like she fell during her tour and she's like, these ghosts are after us. And I'm like, I swear, I never thought the cemetery was on it, but now I'm starting to think so. So either way, uh, that was a great weekend of tours and I hope this weekend will go awesome. And I hope we have new listeners because hi. Um, and hopefully Alma will behave herself this week. I know. Alma. Listen, Alma, honey. We like, were rooting for you, honey. The whole time I'm telling her story, the whole time I'm just like, I love her so much, y'all. <laughs> I mean, this uh, in this household, we love Alma. Yes, mm-hmm. I like her. Um, so yeah, so that was just a funny story of uh we kind of got a little spooked at the cemetery this weekend, but that's okay. Um so Hannah, I think you have some true crime news for us. I do. So the Associated Press reported on October 26th, which is in the past, or if you are (laughs) listening to this at some other time, maybe it's in the future. Who knows? I don't know. (laughs) Mm. 
They have identified one of the unidentified bodies that were discovered in John Wayne Gacy's house. Um, They were able to identify at the time of the murders, most of them. Um, But there were still several that were not identified Um, over the years. Some more, you know, have have come through. Um, But this was done through the DNA Doe Project, which is super interesting. Um, And something to look into participating in if if that's something you're into of, you know, helping to find people. Um, But this young man was named Francis Wayne Alexander, and he was from North Carolina. Um, he had cut off communication with his family, um, and they just never knew what happened to him. They didn't even know he was in Chicago. Um, so, you know, it's very kind of hard, you know, and it, it makes you think about the times when you've, I'm never talking to that motherfucker again. And then right. they end up in a serial killer's crossface. So. Yeah. But his family has him back. He has his name back, which is wonderful. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully his spirit can rest and, you know, he can, he can get some peace. Yep. For sure. And speaking of Gacy. <laughs> Let's get to it. All right. So we're going to begin. Chicago has a gruesome history. Of course, every major city of any note has a gruesome history. You can't make an omelet without cracking a few eggs (laughs) or skulls, whatever. (laughs) Chicagoans, though, don't stand on pretense and God bless them for it. You want to know where the St. Valentine's Day massacre happened? Don't worry. Someone will show you. Want to hear about the USS Eastland disaster when more than 800 people died in one of the biggest maritime accidents that ever happened on the Great Lakes? Don't worry. We'll tell the terrorists all about it for a small fee. I'm going to cover the USS Eastland disaster one day because it is insane. Hey, I should cover the Sultana because that's down here. We should do shipwrecks. That's what I was yeah. about to Heck yeah. Okay. Maybe that's what we're doing in December. Okay. Anyway, go okay. ahead. Now you, you guys see how the sausage is made. Speaking of Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Um, this is how our, we all have ADHD. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and while Chicago hosted the nation's first urban serial killer, the one it's most famous for is the supposed killer clown himself. And much to the Windy City chagrin, the pudgy pederast got one last laugh before he was put to death. From 1981 to 1982, four rangy-looking white dudes who make Matthew McConaughey's character in Dazed and Confused look trustworthy and dependable <laughs> took to the streets of Chicagoland in a red-orange... And when I tell you red orange, it's, it's red orange. Windowless <laughs> 1975 Dodge van that looks exactly like you think it does. <laughs> and raped, cannibalized, necrophiled. I don't know that that's a verb, but I'm making it one. And murdered their way through 17 women. And what? they shot one man. What? Jeez. Oh, I don't have the names Ugh. and identities of all 17, but we're going to cover the ones that we do. Also, trigger warning for fucking everything. Just, yeah. just fucking everything. So if you're of a sensitive disposition, just keep going. I'm sure she does and Lori's are going to be 
plot plus. I'm sure there's going to be a trigger, trigger, (laughs) trigger for both of them. Yeah. It's not clear how Robin get. I don't know if that's how you pronounce his last name, but fuck him. Yeah. We're going to pronounce it however we want. Also never trust a man named Robin unless it's Robin (laughs) Williams and he has passed. I have a, a dude friend named Robin. Okay, I'm just He's saying. All I nice. can think of, all I can think of, is Robin Gibb. I didn't even. Oh, I love Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. Yeah, Robin Williams. I'm just saying, check the crawl spaces. Okay, probably a good idea. <laughs> it's not clear how Robin get a former employee of John Wayne Gacy's PDM Contractors. Oh no. And his three associates, Edward Spritzer and brothers Andrew and Thomas. I'm going to fuck up this too, but fuck them. Coco, Coco, Coco yeah. Coco Melon. <laughs> yes. Andrew and Thomas. Fuck them. We don't talk yeah. about them that much, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the foursome would go on to claim that Satanism was behind their horrific crimes. And I have a little something to say about that. Now, in the aftermath of Texas's absolute fuckery regarding abortion, many women and other people who can get pregnant have flocked to become card-carrying members of the Satanic Temple, which considers abortion a religious and spiritual right. If the word Satan is making you uncomfortable, just know that modern Satanism is secular humanism for goths, and you'll be fine. Anton LaVey's Church of Satan tends to be a little more hedonistic and a little less social justice than Lucian Graves' Satanic Temple. And because it simply cannot allow an opportunity to detail the ruling tenets of both organizations to evade me, here we go. <laughs> the Satanic Temple's seven fundamental tenets. One should strive to act with compassion and empathy toward all creatures in accordance with reason. The struggle for justice is an ongoing and necessary pursuit that should prevail over laws and institutions. One's body is inviolable, subject to one's will alone. The freedoms of others should be respected, including the freedom to offend. To willfully and unjustly encroach upon these freedoms, uh, upon the freedoms of another is to forego one's own. Beliefs should conform to one's best scientific understanding of the world. One should take care to never distort scientific facts to fit one's beliefs. What? Really? I know, right? What a concept. It's wild. And this is the Satanists. So there you go. I know. People are fallible. If one makes a mistake, one should do one's best to rectify it and resolve any harm that it might have caused. Every tenet is a guiding principle designed to inspire nobility and action and thought. The spirit of compassion, wisdom, and justice should always prevail over the written or spoken word. Now we're getting the Church of Satan's nine satanic tenets. Please know that on their official website, every single one of these ends with an exclamation point. (laughs) I get really excited about religion too. (laughs) And I am way too tired to yell. So imagine that these are being screamed at you. (laughs) Satan represents indulgence over abstinence. Satan represents vital. And please remember that these were written in 1969. I don't know why that's funny to me, but it is. (laughs) Satan represents vital existence instead of spiritual pipe dreams. Satan represents undefiled wisdom instead of hypocritical self-defeat. Satan represents kindness to those who deserve it instead of love wasted on ingrates. 
<laughs> Satan represents vengeance instead of turning the other cheek. Satan represents responsibility to the responsible instead of concern for psychic vampires. Satan represents man as just another animal, sometimes better, more often worse than those that walk on all fours, who, because of his, and this is in quotes, so read it as snarky, divine spiritual and intellectual development has become the most vicious animal of all. Satan represents all of the so-called sins as they all lead to physical, mental, or emotional gratification. And the coup de grace. Satan has been the best friend the church has ever had as he has kept it in business all these years. Yes. What do they mean by psychic vampire? Is that like Colin Robinson? Thank you. That's what I was thinking. (laughs) You guys are talking about something. I have no idea what you're talking about. What we do in the shadows. It's the best TV show on television. It's so good. No, this is there. It's it's the TV show based on the movie. So it's not it's not in New Zealand. It's set in New York. And it's fantastic. There's an island. (laughs) There is an energy vampire named Colin Robinson. Yeah, he is. And he's the best. yeah and like in this satanic or psychic vampires are you know kind of narcissists the people who just leave you feeling absolutely drained because they're just so fucking needy yeah gosh but yes (laughs) levey was a smug son of a bitch yep anyway back to the ripper crew and their bullshit The first victim was Linda Sutton, 28, who was kidnapped May 23rd, 1981, right outside of Wrigley Field, which is a tourist crazy banana pants. So just kidnapping somebody in Wrigleyville is insane. And she was found 10 days later, mostly decomposed outside the Rip Van Winkle Motel. What? Oh, wow. (laughs) A a no-tell motel, if there ever was one. A pair of handcuffs was still attached to her body. The medical examiner found that she had only been dead for three days. Now, she's been missing for only 10, three days, but she's only oh, been man. dead for three. No good comes from that. But the decomposition had been accelerated because her left breast was cut off. Mm. This was done along with the sexual assault and other torture while she was still alive. Oh, God, bless her heart. Cynthia Smith was abducted and mutilated, but she managed to escape with her life. Good job, Cynthia. There's not a lot about Cynthia Smith. And you know what? Good for her. Yeah, You know, honey, I hope you were able to recover from this and you lived your best goddamn life because that's some shit. 100%. (laughs) The third victim was an unidentified cocktail waitress who had run out of gas on the way on her way home from work. Her body was found nude, mutilated, and sexually assaulted on the side of the road. The fourth victim was an unknown Latina woman whose breast was bitten. Semen was recovered from the scene. A psychic would tell police that the crime was committed by a local animal lover who had a family. Thanks, psychic. <laughs> there's more than a couple there's some there's some oh i'm sure here. i'm sure victim shenanigans num- and fuckery all oh around. yes trust there's a reason the script is six pages long 
Victim number five, Lorraine Lori Borowski. 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 I'm going to try to pronounce her name right because she didn't do anything wrong. Victim, yeah. 21 was kidnapped as she was entering her job at a real estate office on May 15, 1982. Her body wouldn't be found until early October in a heavily thicketed cemetery. Police assumed the killers kept Lori alive for quite a while after abducting her and also kept her corpse for some time before dumping it at the cemetery. Along with the sexual assault, trigger warning, a wire had been wrapped around her breast tightly until it cut off her breast. God. And it appeared that something had been inserted into the wound from her severed breast. She was eventually killed with an axe. The next victim was Shuey Mack, 30. She had only been in the country for three years when she left her family's restaurant on May 29th, 1982. She was from Hong Kong. Her and her whole family uh, immigrated from Hong Kong. Unfortunately, her and her brother Kent got into a fight in the car and he dumped her on the side of the highway. Guys, never do this. I get mm-hmm. car fights. Car fights are the worst because you cannot literally cannot get away from them and you're just yeah, I get it. Yeah. But like get to a McDonald's or a rest stop or a gas station before you kick them out of your car. Just yes, please. Please. Shu's other sister would pass her on the highway. And it wasn't until both siblings got home that they realized neither of them had her. They went back to the spot on the highway and she was gone. She was found dead at the end of September from blunt force trauma to the head. Her sister could only identify her by her clothing. Oh, man. Angel York was unlucky number seven. While working as a sex worker, Angel got into a van on June 13th, my niece's birthday, Mm. 1982. Not the year my niece was born. (laughs) The Johns handcuffed one of her hands and told her to cut her own breast with the other. God. She did so. Because what you going to do? Yeah, you have no choice. And one of the men cut it more, masturbated into the wound, duct taped it shut, and kicked her out on the side of the road. Angel reported the incident, but she didn't have enough information about the men or their van for the police to track them down. I remember this is the 80s. There's... Yeah, it's, it's a lot harder back in the day. Well, and she's a sex worker, so I'm right. sure they didn't exactly. really Exactly. I mean, exactly. The Chicago police who would rather get fired than get vaccinated, but we won't go there. Exactly. Um, the eighth victim was Sandra Delaware. Sandra's body was found on August 28th, 1982 under the Fullerton Avenue Bridge along the Chicago River. Sandra had been stabbed, strangled, and... Uh, Left breast amputated. There seems to be a pattern for me. What is it with the boobs? We'll get there. Okay. You won't like it, but we'll get there. Mommy issues? We'll get there. Okay. Her wrists were bound together behind her back with shoestrings. Knotted around her neck was her bra. The autopsy would show her body had been found only six hours after her death. Oh, man. Yep. Rose Beck Davis's, but I don't have an age for her, was found on September 8th, 1982 in an alley in the Shishi neighborhood of the Gold Coast. That's where the rich people live. Rose had been stabbed repeatedly, raped and strangled with a black sock. 
Her face was beaten so badly she was barely recognizable. Her stomach showed numerous small cuts and punctures. Her breast had been cut and mutilated like all the other victims. And another trigger warning. A large blood pool had accumulated in her anal cavity. Oh, God. Numerous hatchet blows to the face and head eventually killed her. The behavioral analysis unit of the FBI came onto the scene and, well, got everything wrong. Robert, what, you're Ref- telling me CS, um, um, criminal minds is fake or not real or not good? What? What? Yeah. <laughs> in, the fa- in the fantasy world of criminal minds, they're wonderful. Legitimately. Yeah. Eh, it's a flawed science. <laughs> yeah. I mean, when you look at criminal psychology, 90%, like most psychology, ask me about my late ADHD diagnosis. Yeah. Most of it is based on white men. So true, 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 true. So Robert Ressler would tell officials that the suspect, I'm not saying unsub, god damn it. <laughs> That's my mother's favorite word because she loves criminal minds. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Mama Kathy. It's just not gonna happen. <laughs> would be an effeminate bisexual. Nah. Nice try though. Ressler, come on, man. Yeah. Not to mention that there were fucking four of them, my dude. Yeah. Didn't figure that one out, did ya? Nope. It's suspected that the Ripper crew, as they came to be called, killed Carol Pappas, wife of Cubs pitcher Mitt Pappas. But other than disappearing around the same time, there's really no evidence to prove that she was one of their victims. And five years after the fact, they would declare her dad and declare it accidental so okay no breast mutilation that i'm aware of in that one oh did they ever find her body do we know i believe they did find her body and that that's but the best they could figure out it being five years later was an accident of some sort yeah the husband did it okay (laughs) i'm sure not me slandering a cubs pitcher um (laughs) the 11th victim Beverly Washington, 20, would ultimately prove to be the Ripper crew's undoing. Beverly Washington is a fucking hero in this story. Heck yeah. Go Beverly. Absolutely. On October 6, 1982, Beverly was found clinging to life in Humboldt Park, which is not that far from where I live. She was found with multiple injuries, including an amputation of her left breast, a severely slashed right breast, and numerous stab wounds. Beverly described her horrific ordeal to the police, including precise details of the interior van, which included some super suspicious modifications, such as a plywood divider separating the cab from the rest of the van, but a hinged plywood door. Why would you need a door in a van, huh? Mm-hmm. Along the walls in the van were wooden shelves holding tools and electrical wiring, and it was carpeted on the floor and the ceiling. Of course it was. Oh, good for them. Because it was a 1975 van and they had to put carpet and everything. (laughs) Yep. She also described the driver who would later be identified as Robin Gett. Oh, and the dude they shot, they started doing a side hustle as contract killers. On October 6th, 1982, just a few hours after the police found Beverly, they pulled up next to a phone booth in their van and opened fire on Raphael Torado and an unnamed man. Both were shot. Raphael was the intended target, and he was the only one who died. Just 
side hustle is fucking contract killer. God damn, it's just so stupid. But wait, I hear you ask, where's the Satanism? Well, the group would regularly meet at Gek's place after his wife went to work at night while his children were in bed. He had a wife and children. They Why always am I do. Still single? Why am I still <laughs> single? Because you have like to that. lower your standards down to a serial killer. Okay, I guess I'll do We're going to talk about his wife and kids. Just a little bit. Just you wait. They had created a satanic, in heavy, heavy air quotes, (laughs) chapel in his attic, complete with an altar draped in red cloth. The only lighting (laughs) would come from candles. Ooh, Ooh, spooky. Sexy. (laughs) Four sweaty Midwestern men trying to be satanic (laughs) fucking addicts okay sidebar to lighten the mood i was going uh out on halloween and a guy got onto the train with a very fluffy mullet and he was wearing bears gear and then like ratty jeans and i was just like i don't know if this is his halloween costume or if this is his attire (laughs) his day-to-day wear because it is chicago and if I saw a man just in the grocery store on a Tuesday wearing that, I would not bat a single eye. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm, a picture is forming and it stinks. <laughs> the majority of the Ripper Cruise victim would be killed in that attic, while the men tortured the women with knives and removed their breasts with piano wire. Gecht would be reciting from the Satanic Bible, Bible, which is Anton LaVey's founding work. I've read the Satanic Bible. I actually left it out on my coffee table once when my cleaning lady came by and she did not enjoy that. (laughs) (laughs) I bet she didn't. I tipped her extremely well at Christmas. (laughs) But as I said, I've read the Satanic Bible. There's literally nothing about cutting off titties in there and I find this highly annoying. Okay. All right. Get ready. They would always eat the breast in the attic as part of their ritualistic sacrament even if they had yep yep i see a hand yep go ahead uh since they're doing this in the attic uh did, did they have like a hot plate up there or i mean like was, was it were they just raw eating it raw they were raw dog in this shit oh god <laughs> okay. all right continue yep. wish i hadn't asked <laughs> it only gets worse from here girl yay continue Gact would continue to read passages as each man would take his turn masturbating into the severed breast. Once they had all taken their turn, Gack would cut it into pieces and then they would each consume the flesh. Again, I've read the damn book. That's not in there. Yes, they are eating something they just masturbated on. Yes. No, it's my thing is, is okay. Like y'all are my besties y'all are my ride or dies and and i will do anything with y'all we're not ever doing that together no no no. that is that is not a bonding ritual that will be taking place no for sure not not even in the realm of possibility attached to people Not even that, but doing doing the masturbating together. That is well, a no, hard task. I hard no. no. Oh my hard. god. No. That is one thing that I will never understand 
like when you hear stories about like teenage boys watching porn yes! together I've never and i'm like that are y'all getting like boners in front of each other and y'all are just whipping it out and jerking it in front of each other i don't understand it and then you're gonna pull a no homo sir that is the definition of homo i would think i hate to tell you but if you're hard in the presence of another dick you are gay (laughs) i'm sorry i don't make the rules okay anyway continue your story this is can I just say this is one of the stories? This is not a funny story. This is it's I, we are doing magically horrific. <laughs> yeah, but Hannah, Hannah's. Uh, but we got a light in the mood somehow. Yeah, it's yeah. No, Hannah's Hannah's sticking it uh, to or sticking to Hannah's. Shit, I don't even know what I'm saying. I mean, it's what you come to expect from Hannah's stories. They're I'm always going to be the gremlin. Too. Yeah, there she's we the, go. She's the, the, the gremlin. She's on brand. She <laughs> is. I appreciate it. And you got to have some gallows humor. (laughs) You're not going to get through this life. The Ripper crew believe that their leader, Gact, had supernatural powers. I've seen this dude. He looks like a dopey 80s Midwestern dipshit. He does (laughs) not have supernatural powers. The consensus was he used his powers to control his followers, both mentally and physically. Again, I have seen this man. No. After being caught by the police, the crew would fall up, fall back on a similar excuse most followers give for their crimes. They're afraid that their leader would kill them if they didn't do what he wanted. Oh, BS. I am not a, I don't believe in Svengali's. Um, that's like when people talk about Manson. Was Manson a piece of shit? Yes, but you will not murder unless murder is already in you. Yeah. So... So, you know, and you know, if presented with the options of either dying or torturing and eating another human, fucking take me out. Yeah. No yeah, one can yeah. make you murder if you aren't already willing. Yeah. So miss me with that bullshit. A hundred percent. Same goes for the entire Manson crew. Y'all wanted to do that shit. I don't want to hear it. Yep. If you listen to some five foot tall, dirty desert person, that's on you. <laughs> Yes, exactly. You're the <laughs> fucking asshole there. Yep. <laughs> Based off of Hero Beverly's description of the van, police created flyers and talked to local sex workers. So there was actually some good police work being done here. Good. Police located the van, but the driver didn't match the description. Turns out it was one of Gak's employees. Yep. The psychopath was running an electrician business during all of this bullshit. Of course he was. The employee gotta- in question... Edward Spritzer would admit to being involved in seven murders. Beverly identified Gecht from a photo array. Gecht was interrogated with his attorney present and was cool as a cucumber and said basically nothing. It was discovered that as a teenager, he would ask his sex partners if he could jab their breasts with needles. That's a hard no. Albert Fish wannabe. You... So for Albert to... Fish, at least had the decency to do it to himself. Yeah, mm. that's the only difference, I guess. But that's yeah, his that... one redeeming quality. I guess. Oh, I hate that man. Go ahead. And his wife would admit he would often cut her breasts during sex. Honey. No. Honey. It's a two-letter sentence. No. You tell him no. Where were your friends? No. Yeah, no. exactly. 
And it wasn't just his crew who was scared of him. People in the neighborhood who had any contact with him found him completely terrifying. There was no, we never would have thought he could be a murderer going on with this <laughs> joker. Everyone knew he was fucked up. Great. Gecht would try to use insanity in his first trial, which would end in a mistrial. Don't they all? Yes, the jerk-off motion was appropriate there, Sheena. Thank you. <laughs> I hate it when they try that. During the second trial, Gek decided to take the stand in his own defense. Oh, that's a great idea. Do it. And, do it. I'd love to see it, how this plays out. And he would admit that he assaulted Beverly, but he wouldn't admit to anything else. Basically because Beverly identified, it, identified him in the photo array and there was not a lot he could do about that. The jury found him guilty in all charges, and he was sentenced to 120 years in prison. That's all? He'll be eligible for parole in 2022. Is he still oh, alive? Oh, that is way too soon. Yeah, he's still alive. Great. Well, oh, don't he worry. Never hears there's, this there's gonna, I hope he does. Fuck he's you. not getting out. <laughs> the trial, sh- well, just wait. Um, the trial shenanigans, because of course, Chicago. Continued with Thomas, Coco, whatever, whatever. He was found (laughs) guilty initially and then was given a new trial a year later and then pled guilty to the murder of Lorraine Borowski and was given a 70-year sentence. He was released from prison after only serving half of his sentence in 2017. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that's, yeah. (laughs) He must register as a sex offender as long as he lives in Illinois, though. Absolutely no one was happy about this. When you got a whole, like, major metropolitan area saying, fuck this guy. Yeah. Fuck this guy. Thomas's brother, Andrew Cuckoo. Coco Melon. It's Coco Melon. It's Coco Melon. (laughs) I'm not pronouncing, it's Greek. I'm not pronouncing it. I'm sorry. I love this Just think of the kids show Coco Melon. Exactly. We're we're going with Coco Melon. was first brought to trial for the rape and murder of Rose Beck Davis. Andrew had confessed to abducting Davis with other members of the crew, saying they had forced her in the van and beaten her with a hatchet. The jury deliberated for more than three hours before finding him guilty of rape and murder, and he was sentenced to life in prison. He would then have a second trial for the murder of Lorraine Burakowski and Rose. I don't know how they were able to try him again, but I'm not a lawyer. He was found guilty and sentenced to death. On March 16th, 1999, he would be the last person executed by the state of Illinois before the death penalty was abolished in 2011. Bye, Felicia. Exactly. Edward Spritzer also went the two-trial route and got the death penalty, but his sentence would be commuted to life in prison when Governor Ryan left office in 2003. Again, I am not pro-death penalty, but also fuck these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Three of Geck's family members would die in a car accident on the way to see him in prison in 1988. And his son, David, was convicted of murder in 1999 and given 45 years in prison. Of course he was. Fantastic family, all of them. Big shout out to the medium and to WindyCityGhost.com for providing me a ton of information for these stories which was gruesome and horrifying and yep. fuck these dudes yep and i did look up 
uh, the uh, Carol Pappas, the the baseball players. And it looks like uh, they found her car submerged in a shallow pond. So it was when you said accident, that's that's essentially, you know, she they didn't see any foul play. So she was accidental car accident. (laughs) Accidental accident. (laughs) Yeah. Accidental accident. I mean, and like <clears throat> drowning people in their car was not really their MO. So, right. Yeah. You know, like well, I said, yeah. there wasn't any evidence besides, well, she went missing. She went the missing. Same time. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> um, good job, Hannah, hitting the, yeah. uh, the, the high points, I guess. <laughs> not, not, yeah. not getting too crazy. I've, I've heard this story covered before, way too detailed. Um, yeah. There was you know, a lot of detail that could have, gone into and i was like you know what i don't need a or b the bad dreams right because i'll be honest while i was typing this i kind of held my titties really close to me yeah it's like okay good they're both there they're both there yeah that is both of mm. them i have both of them Mm. or yeah Yeah. the chicago ripper crew all right well well good uh, good job yeah. Uh, Sheena, Sheena, you want to talk about some axe murder? Speaking yeah. So um, axe murder. Yeah. And uh, you know, when you say detail, I always give too much. <laughs> um, and I have a bunch of irrelevant detail because I just thought it was fun. Um, I love reading newspapers from like 1887. They just they thrill me. Um, as I say on my tours. Um, I'm always like, oh, I found this because I was reading like old newspapers and this is why I'm almost 40 and still single high. (laughs) So anyway, before Lizzie Borden, before Velisca, before the Axeman of New Orleans, there were the Wolf Fork family murders. Ooh, I don't know this one. I didn't either. I came across the family, um, in Rose Hill Cemetery. They are all buried there and they're all in a big plot together and and all of their dates were the same year so I was like what is going on and I did research and I'm like holy cow so that's how I came across it we'll talk about that in a minute okay so picture it just outside of Macon Georgia the early morning hours of Saturday August 6 1887 neighbors of the Woolfork family were alarmed when Tom Woolfork 40 47 27 he was 27 (laughs) I don't know where I got four from, came running into their home for help. He claimed an intruder had killed his entire family and he was the sole survivor. Butch so, DeFeo, anybody? Mm, yeah. Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Sometime between 2 and 4 a.m. on Saturday, August 6th, nine people were brutally slain at the Woolfork family plantation near Macon. The victims. Okay, were- hold on a second. Nine? nine. Was it like. And he was 20. So, so this had to, it had to have been like parents too, right? They weren't all his, his wife and children at 27. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just, I, I'm about to lay it all out. Who all right. all everyone is. There you go. And, and I will say this too, before I continue, I'm pronouncing it correctly in Woolfork, but it is spelled wool folk, like wool from sheep and mm-hmm. folk like people, but you pronounce it Woolfork. So FYI, okay. if you, you want to Google this later. Okay. <laughs> Here are the victims. Richard F. Woolfork, aged about 51 or so. His wife, Maddie, aged 41. Their six children, Richard oh. F. Uh, Woolfork Jr., 19 or 20-ish. 
uh, Pearl, 17, Annie, 10, Rosebud, 7, Charlie, 5, Baby Maddie, 18 months. Oh, my God. And 84-year-old Temperance West, a relative of Mrs. Woolfolk, who had been visiting them. So this is one of the most... um, deadly mass casualty events in Georgia history and it's especially um notable because it uh no gun explosives fire or car were used to kill them all and it's both a familicide I don't know if I'm saying that right and a rampage killing so what's the backstory here why how did we get here let's let's take it back to 1854 you know those uh lovely heady days of <laughs> those wonderful times <laughs> wonderful times yeah sure uh if you're white um <laughs> <laughs> all of history a lot yeah, of history actually if you're white and a man well yeah, yeah exactly yeah. because uh yeah if you're a white not- dude history's a fucking festival yeah <laughs> yeah um yeah so richard Woolfolk, who is the patriarch of the family married his first wife susan in 1854 I will note that they were both very young. She was about 13. He was about 19. Yeah. That's how it worked back then. That's true. They had three children together. I don't know if I'm saying this right. It is spelled like fluoride, but I think it's floride. They called her Flo. Okay. Yes. She was born in 1855. Side note, she married a man named Love. Love Alva. Um, and she lived until 1945 and she died at the age of 89. We'll go back God to her in a minute. Damn. Mm-hmm. All right. I know. I love it. I love that her husband's name is love. That's just so Aww. cool. Uh, Lily in 1857 and then Thomas or Tom in 1860. Susan died in 1865 at the age of 24. I don't know Oof. why I heard mm. that she never really recovered from giving birth to Tom. Um, which considering what he did later in life, maybe makes sense. He, he, he was horrible. Um, it was his first victim. Yeah, yeah basically. So uh, Richard sent the kids to live with some family in Athens, Georgia. And um, supposedly he was very devastated by this, you know, by his wife's death. I don't, I don't know. I wouldn't there, but he remarried a woman or he remarried and married a woman named Maddie in 1867. And uh tom moved back moved back into macon with his um father his sisters and his new stepmother and maddie and richard immediately start the baby making family and they um baby baby making factory sorry Mm -hmm. they had richard jr in 67 pearl in 70 annie in 77 rosebud in 80 charles in 82 and baby maddie in 1886 and again, this murder happened in 1887. So there is no good way to say this. Tom was just a horrible human being. Um, these Bad are some seeds. Yes, yes, 100%. This is like a quote from the Georgia Encyclopedia or something. Tom Woolfork was quarrelsome and uh, noticeably mentally deranged. Those who knew him thought he was a sharp, cunning, dissipated, and unscrupulous fellow. I wasn't where I thought that C word was going. (laughs) (laughs) And very 
perverse, obstinate, eccentric, and a cranky sort of person. Cranky, oh, cranky is the word that describes him in like everything you read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, That's did, kind of an understatement. A hundred percent. Everything. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've been in a bad mood, but I ain't never asked nobody. No, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> or, or, or rather nine people. Yes, right. exactly. Yeah. So at some point he does marry a wealthy woman named Georgia Bird. I think what he did was told her he had all this money in this great house, blah, blah, blah. But then he takes her to his sister's house. It's like, yes! oh, this is this is where we're gonna live. And yeah. she was like, excuse me. Well, that's and fucked up. She divorced him within three weeks. Good for her. She later said, quote, he is not crazy. It is simple meanness. He is the oh. meanest man I ever saw, and there is nothing too mean for him to do. Which, you know, yeah, I, I believe her. they're not crazy, Inc- they're just assholes. Yeah, <laughs> and I think axe murdering. Yeah. Including axe murdering his whole family. Yeah, yeah. So um, he never successfully held down a job. Huh. He had tried. He tried. I go figure. <laughs> tried, but yeah, everyone basically said, "God, you're a jerk." Like, geez. Um, and at the time that he moved back in with his parents, right before this murder happened, he had just moved back home in with his um, father, stepmother, and half siblings because he had, had failed at some recent job. So he's imagine them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He absolutely hated his stepmother Maddie and the half siblings. Bitch, you're in their house. Thank you. My thoughts exactly. <laughs> he was worried they would stand in his way of inheriting uh of inheriting his family's his father's properties. Oh my God. What he didn't know was that his father, because this is all post-Civil War, had really lost a lot of his fortune and um had some financial issues and when he married maddie her father had purchased the Woolfork plantation and had like deeded it like back to them you know ah, what I'm saying? so it wasn't even really theirs to begin with right so when they died her father would have likely inherited it what because he had purchased and given it to them. And, and this and tom didn't know that tom well, of had course no idea he didn't. why do research yeah so here we are in the morning of August 6th. Um, so the Woolfork plantation had the, the, their house, which was only like one story, but um, you know, whatever. Um, but there were other smaller little houses and, and plantations sort of around it. He had some tenant workers, some sharecroppers out there. And Tom runs to um, one of their neighbors that lives on their property. He's a, a black man. Uh, his name was Green Locket, which I'm like, I wish my name was Green Locket. <laughs> That's a good name. Great name. And so he um, runs out and he's like, my whole family's been murdered. I lived because I jumped out of a window. Oh, Come God. back with me. So not a hero. No, no, no. Um, so he's like, um, the, this black man is like, um, no. Why are you telling me? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going. No, no. No. So, um. He tells Tom to go back to the house and that he's going to go wake up some of the white neighbors because he knows if he, a black man, walks into a house with murdered white people. Gosh, yeah, he's going to have. That was probably Tom's plan. It all was. Yeah. That's what a lot of people think. So anyway. Fuck um, him. Oh, oh mm. just wait, y'all. Just wait. He, the audacity of this guy. Ugh. So um, 
anyway, so at some point, all of these neighbors come back to the house with Tom. They're scared to go inside. It's still dark out. And he's kind of like, I don't want to go in. And then someone says they hear a noise inside. So Tom goes inside for about 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. And he comes out later and says, oh, yeah, everyone's dead. Yeah, now they are. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All the victims were killed by being struck in the head or upper body with a short-handled axe that yes belonged to tom he had been seen using it just the day before uh it was still there in the house (sighs) all the victims were dead in their beds except for the two sons who were laying on the floor of their parents bedroom and 10 year old annie who was kneeling in front of an open window trying to have escaped the house when mm-hmm. she was murdered annie Poor baby. That, that bothers me so bad that's upsetting mm-hmm. it's like yeah. the little girl in hinter kaifak who was pulling yeah. her hair out yeah it's like oh sweetheart yep and uh pearl and richard had also put up a fight to no avail mm. there were bloody footprints uh throughout the house and tom admitted they were his because he'd been in there um, in the room where that he shared with his brothers, uh, investigators found soap and water. Hmm. And when they asked Tom about it, he said he tried to wash his feet, but then he tried to clean up the floor. What? Um, and of course, any perpetrator who had been in the house would have also left bloody footprints, but only Tom's were found. Interesting. Now, here's an issue, too. And I've read a zillion different r- reports on this on his clothes. I read at one point that when he went to the neighbor's house to call for help, he was only wearing like socks and his undies. Oh, goodness. But then I read later that when the investigators were there, he had on clothes that were too big for him. And they thought maybe they were his brother's clothes. Right. So at some point he's sitting out there and all these people are investigating. And of course, because it's 1800s and they don't know anything about crime scene, you know, and everyone's trampling over everything. Everyone's trampling. He asked for a drink of water. So someone goes to the family well and gets him a little cup of water. And once he got it, he took like the tiniest sip and then threw it out. No, And him asking, him asking for that water, though, made investigators suspicious. So they checked the well. Guess what? There's an entire outfit in there that everyone said belonged to Tom soaked in blood. Interesting. The pants had a bloody handprint on them, like going up the leg. Oh, and man. they said oh. um, that had to have been from a victim who grabbed his leg. And Bruh, later, if you knew the clothes were there, why'd you send the neighbor there? I yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I what don't a know. dumb fuck. I don't know. There's so much of this that I'm insulted by how sense. fucking stupid. He, no wonder he couldn't hold a job. He's dumber than dog shit. <laughs> yeah, he is. But yeah, so um, they found that handprint on the pants. And later they make him strip because, you know, they yeah. got to make sure he doesn't have any yeah. on him. And what, what's in his inner thigh? A bloody handprint. It had soaked <gasps> through the pants. Oh, my oh. God. He tried to say it was a birthmark. Okay. And I'm like, listen, sir, I've seen, I've seen birthmarks that look like a bruise, you know, and, and stuff I've like that. I've seen a I'm port like, no. wine stain. Yeah. Exactly. Sure. But th- this is not. Birthmarks no. don't wash off. Exactly. So naturally, he was arrested. Thank um, God. The crowd was really kind of amping up, wanting to uh, lynch him. Oh dear! So the sheriff they was like, should have. Oh, don't worry. It happens eventually. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Um, yes. But to keep him safe, the sheriff sent him uh, up the road to Atlanta. 
And on the way, Tom told the jailer that he was innocent, he didn't care if he lived or died, and that he was man enough to take any punishment they gave him. Oh, Jesus. That's a joke, y'all, trust me. Which is why you tried to hide from it, you fucking yeah. idiot. Um, I, I totally tore this out of a newspaper because I just, it cracked me up. This was after a couple of his trials, but it's still, it, to picture him in your head correctly, how Tom looks. He is of sallow complexion, of medium size, <laughs> dark eyebrows, and black hair. There is nothing in his appearance to suggest physical power or force. He yeah. is not of a heavy muscular frame like the prize fighter, nor does any brute savagery becloud his con- countenance. People generally think he must have a savage bulldog look, shocking to behold, but it is not so. His face is however devoid of emotion or expression and his eye is restless and furtive like <laughs> that a- newspaper say he looked like a bitch yes <laughs> like i was just like you gotta be kidding me this is the best thing i've ever read thank he you dragged eternally him to the macon telegraph reporters from back in the day because they <laughs> did not miss a detail Okay, so the next day, the family members who were murdered were buried at Rose Hill Cemetery in Macon. The adults were in black covered caskets and the children were in white white caskets. Uh, 2,000 people came to see their funeral, basically. Wow. Um, Damn. They are buried in two rows, one with like four people, the one, the next one with five. At the time, they didn't have headstones. They were just covered up with these bricks. But I think in 2005, they got headstones. Um, side note, Rose Hill Cemetery is one of the most fascinating cemeteries I've ever been to. Um, it is gorgeous and I wish I had lived there so I could just spend all of my time there. You said it's um, in Atlanta or Macon? Macon. Um, we, my, my mom and I always stop by there, um, when we're going to Savannah, um, cause we're fascinated by it. Plus it's where, um, this is a very recent side note. Um, it served as the hangout and artistic inspiration for the Allman Brothers Band. And hmm. Dwayne Allman, Greg Allman, Butch Trucks, and Barry Oakley are all buried there. So that's what made us want to go because we're Allman Brothers Band fans. And um, where they're buried is stunning. It is absolutely beautiful. And oh, that's I very Georgia. I love it. It's very Georgia. And um, and it's just, it's a weird made cemetery. It's really hard to navigate, but I love it. Either way, either way. Okay, back to this. 1880, whatever. Okay. Um, sorry. Okay. So Tom's trial began on December 5th. Um, everyone in town was trying to get in because everyone wanted to, you know, oogle and right. look at the killer. Um, the evidence was mostly circumstantial. The prosecutor's closing arguments were so convincing that the crowd started chanting, hang him. Oh, wow. <laughs> the uh, judge tried to get the, the crowd to calm down, but that did not happen. And unsurprisingly, the jury declared him guilty the next day after 12, count them, 12 minutes of deliberation. Damn. Took him that long. Yes, the papers were all over the count the case, and he was nicknamed Bloody Wolfork. No. But thanks to those hang him chants and the fact that they claim the judge really didn't try to stop that, the Georgia Supreme Court overturned the verdict. So Ugh. then he had a second trial. The defense attorney tried to get the move, um, the trial moved to another county, but the judge denied it. Um, but then a potential or a juror that they had just like sworn in for the, this new trial was overheard saying he calls a mistrial before allowing Tom to be found innocent. 
So the judge declared a mistrial. Oh, and then, oh, Jesus. Then they tried to have another trial, but because of the times, they were running out of eligible white men to serve on the jury. Because of, of course, course they were. It, it's 18, whatever, and there's only so many white dudes in one little town. Right. right. How many can you so expect this, them to have? Thank you. So this forced the venue change. The fourth trial began the next May in Houston County. Um, but again, they were overheard, say the jurors were overheard saying things like they doubted the evidence. Jurors, shut the fuck up. They exactly. run their mouths. Um, uh, they couldn't convict a man on circumstantial evidence, so they declare him another mistrial. He has a fifth trial in June, Jesus. and he when, is found guilty. And I'm like, when did hang. they just ki- kill the fucker? Like, oh, just, they're getting to it. They're getting to <clears> it. <throat> um, but this is one of my favorite parts: is that um, Tom tried to escape constantly. <laughs> oh, Jesus! Constantly, oh, y'all. Them. It is one of it them. Is hilarious. He tried to bribe one dra- one jailer saying i'll give you like five hundred dollars and i'm gonna run a mexico piece out and the jailer's like um no no you're not that's not how um, this works dude no he tried to get a hold of or he created over a dozen weapons and other things he couldn't have like ropes razors saws and knives Jesus. Um, his jailer nat bird song uh said he kept a trunk full of all of these weapons he even had he had like over a dozen that he had taken away from him that he had taken away from him um in early 1890 uh wolfork wrote letters to the governor claiming he was being mistreated in prison and he needed to be taken to the atlanta jail uh the prison guard the nat bird song we mentioned earlier like nat bird song and tom wolfork spent a lot of time together <laughs> and they hated each other and <laughs> good um he said uh that tom was trying to pit all the other inmates against him and basically I and mean, he's just doing anything he can to get out and this is a quote from nat bird song who loved to talk to the press <laughs> <laughs> that man wolfork has given me more trouble than all of the rest of the prisoners put together. I have taken pity on him and actually favored him more than ordinarily and have given him food from my table. Of late, however, he has shown an utter lack of appreciation or gratitude, and I have quit indulging him. Probably that is what is the matter with him now. He is a desperate man and simply doesn't care for anything or anyone. The only way to please Tom is to open the door and let him out. Yeah. So there's also a very brief story of and I'm not going to go too deep in this because this is just a sad fact. There was a local black man named Jackson DuBose who was also arrested in connection with the murders, but he Oof. was bad about falsely confessing to crimes he didn't commit Aww. so he could go to jail and get free food and a free place to stay, basically. A lot of yeah. homeless do that. Exactly, yeah. And so the um, he was eventually sent to an insane asylum where I hope he was treated decently but no not likely i know but y'all i can wish all right so (laughs) tom wolfolk at the age of 30 was hanged on october 29 1890 131 years ago in front of a huge huge audience um i will say he did do an interview that morning with newspaper reporters and he was snarky of course he was i love that you're just (laughs) being yourself to the very end but he was i'll tell y'all he was terrified which i low-key love good shouldn't say that anyway 
he, he did write a statement before he died. And I think they said a jailer read this for him. I, Thomas G. Woolfolk, realizing the existence of an infinite, wise, and holy God, and so as to meet him, knowing all that I've ever done, and fully understanding that I must stand before the judgment bar of God, and that today in a few hours I shall be called into his presence, do solemnly declare my innocence, and leave as my last declaration that I not take the life of my father or a member of his family, and or have any knowledge of the person or persons who did this murderous deed. Signed Thomas G. Woolfolk. I think it is interesting that he said he did not kill his, his family or any or of his, his family. family. Yeah, and I'm like, mm-hmm. that was your stepmother and your half siblings, but okay, that's his people. Yeah, yeah. He then prayed loudly and asked uh, for blessings for his sisters, and he asked for the mercy of his soul. Um, After they put a black, you know, the black hood Mm -hmm. over his head, um, he asked for five more minutes. Um, Oh, he asked the sheriff, "Fuck you, take it off and give him a black handkerchief to put over his face and just have five minutes." And the sheriff told him, "No, thank you." (laughs) So he said, "God bless you all," and then the drop fell. Um, I'm not going to go into all the details because, whoa, they were gory. Did but... he not die on? Oh, thank God. I, I know this. Is oh, he didn't it. get the next snap. He had to strangle. Y'all just wait. Just wait. Mm-hmm. Um, he was hung at about 1 30 p.m. I sound like a psychopath. I know. <laughs> well, yeah. Um, he but, killed but... an 18 month old baby with an yeah, ass. Fuck, fuck him. him. And a five year old <laughs> and a 10 year old. And yeah, I'm like, they, no. they didn't. Uh, anyway so he was hung yes but it didn't break his neck so he strangled to death and was finally declared dead around 2 p.m and then cut down at 205 he had asked that the coroner make certain he was dead before cutting him down because as he said that very morning great god how horrible it would be to come back into this world with your neck all crooked isn't that messed up that is so fucking Um, he shat his pants when he died he probably did um hh um, H. holmes he his neck didn't break either yeah. he had to dangle for a bit mm-hmm. yeah which oof, yeah Ooh. and the newspaper did go into detail on how it looked of and of course like, don't, i don't need to know that, course course know that. um he did not want to be buried at macon with his family um so his sister um had him buried at orange hill cemetery in hawkinsville which is where she lived which was south is south of macon and then when she died she wanted to be buried by him no. because they firmly believed his sisters firmly believed he was innocent oh Jesus! Oh, bless their naive from what hearts. i hear from what i hear Woolfolk family members Woolfolk still to this day maintain that he was innocent to no, this day. I'm sorry. No, I'm so, I'm here's sorry. where everyone will argue you down and t- <laughs> say the man's innocent, though. Okay. I don't want to go into this because I think this is BS because I see a billion holes in this story, but okay, fine. Let's sure. hear it. So, <laughs> a couple of years later, after all of this, there is this man by the name of Simon Cooper. He was a black man in Georgia, and then he went to South Carolina and committed a ton of really horrible crimes, and he was lynched. When he was lynched, they took his body down, and they found a notebook in his pocket that, and and part of it that said it was like his quote-unquote journal, and in it, he had supposedly written, Tom Wolfork was mighty slick, but I fixed him. I would have killed him with the rest of the damn family, but he was not at home. How convenient a black guy did it. Well, see... 
a lot of people want to say that the black guy did it because Richard Woolfolk had owned slaves. He had fought for the Confederacy mm-hmm. and that right. he wasn't that nice to some of the sharecroppers who did work on his land. Imagine but that. But honestly, who is, didn't in the South? It's unfortunate you. what what white man that owned land didn't own if slaves. Every, people if like every shit. former slave or former sharecropper killed the people that mistreated him, there would be no white people. None. Yeah. None. None. And I just cannot believe that any black person of that era would absolutely massacre an entire white family, Mm-mm. knowing that you would likely wake some of them up and that some of them could have run, knowing it would also, be an automatic death sentence for how you. How absolutely unlikely is it for a freed slave of that era to be able to write okay i didn't want to say that but i've been thinking that i literally have been thinking that illegal mm-hmm. to it was illegal to educate them to write. right and and so where where are you seeing this is this just like kind of some anecdotal evidence people say or is there proof there is a that there's a exists? woman i don't know because all of the resources that i saw quote this were secondhand resources right there's a woman and I can't remember her name, but she's written two books on this case. And this is, she claims all of this and this is where it comes from. And I'm like, cool, but I just, I've not read those books. Um, so I don't know, but I just don't believe that. I think it's very unlikely. I think the cause of murder, that, that being so violent and so personal and with so much anger mm-hmm. that had to have been a family member personal. who hated them. Right. And I mean, even his stepmother had told her father that he had threatened to kill them all. Well, yeah, no, no, I do not. I'm sorry to the family, but you know, your entire family cannot be judged on one person. So you had stop defending somebody who's been dead for a hundred fucking years. Exactly. Stop defending him. He did something horrible that does not automatically speak to your entire family it was one terrible person who did a terrible thing Mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean that your descendants today are that way I wouldn't be like oh my god you're a wolf or you're terrible like no of course not like you can't help what your ancestors did 131 years ago but you can't help being an asshole in 2021 100% and I just cannot like okay this Simon Cooper guy he did there there are other sources and i have them listed in my sources who go into more detail on what he did and yes he was a violent man and he did some terrible things but i just cannot imagine that he did this plus he says i would have killed him with the rest of the family but he was not at home tom wolfork himself said he was at home and he jumped out when the intruder came in right right so i'm like he was there he himself said he was there so i just think this is mighty convenient Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't believe I, I 100% think Tom Wolfort did it and it's terrible it's a terrible crime but I don't want anyone to sit around and be like well that man the black guy over there did it like no 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 no, no. And, that, and that's the thing and this is you know this is something that I've struggled with when looking trying to come up with stories i know uh she you mentioned the uh the vampire brothers of new orleans you know that's this 
story that's shared on all these ghost tours throughout New Orleans. You saw yeah. it on a TikTok, but yep. I swear to you, I Googled the shit out of it. I looked at newspapers.com and I could not find a single shred of evidence that they existed. Right. So show me the receipt. Show me this little notebook where this black man wrote in this, yeah. you know, literate and- manner that he killed this family of nine and then maybe i'll believe you but i guarantee this thing doesn't exist you know and i don't know i don't know where this woman got her information and i'm not i don't want to hate on her and and hate on her research because i'm sure she did her due diligence i'm just saying what she has reported but i just as i said to me when you have someone who has repeatedly throughout his life said i hate my father i hate my stepmother i hate my half well i i hate his family is basically his his family family. and then he was there when it happened his bloody Mm -hmm. footprints are Mm -hmm. everywhere the handprint on his thigh yeah and then to me i'm sorry but if you're gonna go kill a man that you don't know that well or that you don't like to me i think i would think you would shoot him Mm -hmm. to hit someone with an axe that's that's very personal Mm -hmm. and to murder the entire family the entire family and i'm like and I just wouldn't think, because here's, this is, I was just watching a thing on Velisca the other day. It always amazes me. And we were just talking about the man from the train and all that. Mm-hmm. And all these cases that no one seems to have woke up. And this right. is a time when you didn't have air conditioners running or you didn't have cars going by on the highway outside. You heard everything. everything. Heard everything. And I'm always like, I just wouldn't think that a random dude and I know it happened in Villisca, but I would not think a random dude would run up on this whole family of nine people, nine, mm-hmm. right, and and kill them all, thinking some of them may try to get away. And some of these guys are bigger than me. Well, you got to remember uh, Villisca and, and a lot of the other murders that are attributed to the man on the train. It's two adults, and yeah. they're the ones that are dispatched first. And, and then the it's a whole mess so of kids. That, that's what makes this yeah. one a little different, is that a lot of his half-siblings were older, yeah. and could have defended themselves. Yeah, so. I mean, it because I said, like I said, Ruby and, um, not Ruby, Pearl and Richard, who were 19-ish, 20-ish, right. and 17, tried to fight back. And then that you have all the kids who were 10, 7, 5. Right. And, and when you're months, a kid, wouldn't have... I mean, I think back to when I was a kid, if I heard something in some other part of the house, I'm like burying myself under the blankets and being like, yeah. oh shit, I didn't hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And they think that's what Annie, who is 10, did when she, at first hmm. she tried to mm-hmm. hide under the blankets and then oh, straight baby. out the window. And that's when he got her. I just think it's, I think it's Tom. I just... Yeah, I know some people are like, "Oh, they hung an innocent man." No. And I'm like, and especially too when the ex-wife is literally saying he's, he's garbage, man. Yeah. Right? No, I'm okay. with you. I'm with yep. you too. Okay, okay. Tell us the story, Lori. Yes, I'm just yes. going to <laughs> jump into it. No background, no nothing. I'm just jumping in. So I love it. John Pollock was born in Bristol, England in 1920. He was raised in the Church of England before he converted converted to Catholicism. Florence Pollock, who is his wife, she was raised as a member of the Salvation Army, which I didn't even know was a religion. Yes, they're terrible. Never done. I hate them. them. Yes, I have personal reasons against them. Okay, they can screw themselves. She converted 
converted to Catholicism after she married John. So although he was very devout in his faith, he did hold strong beliefs in reincarnation and would go on to tell interviewers that he would pray to God every night to prove to him that reincarnation was real. <laughs> so there's little, he, yeah, no, like he, he's like, my beliefs tell me this, but something in my gut tells me that this isn't, you know, a fantasy. Okay. Um, there's, there's not a ton of information out there about his family. It could be because they weren't. They didn't share this information. They were from England. So maybe that's where, you know, I'm not able to access all of the documents that could be out there. Um, I know they had a handful of kids. I can't tell you what the specific order was. They did have a son sometime before 1946, which is the year that their first daughter, Joanna, was born. Little sister Jacqueline joined the family in 1951. John and Florence ran a very successful milk and grocery delivery service, so the girls spent the majority of their time together or with their maternal grandmother, who was pretty much the the one who raised them. As such, they became very close, and Joanna viewed herself as a mother figure to her younger sister and kind of treated her as such, you know, was mothering and nurturing um, to little, little Joanna. Oh. Tragedy struck on May 5th, 1957, as the girls walked to church hand in hand with their neighborhood friend, Anthony Layden, who was just nine years old. A car, hold on, a car jumped the curb and struck the children. They could not get out of the way. They were walking down the sidewalk and there was a concrete Mm. wall next to the sidewalk. So that car jumped the curb and there was nowhere for them to go. Oh. All three of these babies died from the impact. That is awful. So this bitch, this, this C next Tuesday's name was Marjorie Wynn. She had lost custody of her children and in an attempt at suicide took what she thought was a lethal dose of Tylenol and phenobarbitone and got in her car. She was angry and wanted to see someone else suffer. So she decided to viciously mow down three innocent children. Jesus. As I mentioned, yeah, Anthony was nine at the time of his death. Joanna was 11 and Jacqueline was six. Oh, God. I couldn't find any official record of the girl's burial. There was a a find a grave listing for Jacqueline Mm -hmm. uh, that listed she was cremated. um, And I couldn't find any information on what was done with Joanna. So, and even looking into the family, I could find no burial information for uh, John or Florence. So who knows? Um, Obviously, Florence and John were devastated at the loss of their girls. Florence chose to keep herself busy and not dwell on the loss, while John could not stop thinking about the accident. He blamed himself, citing his constant prayers for proof of reincarnation as the reason God was punishing him by taking his girls. Mm. He claimed to have visions of them from heaven and prayed that they would somehow be reborn into the family. Less than a year after the accident, Florence became pregnant, and John just knew that this pregnancy would result in the rebirth of their daughters, even though the doctor insisted that it was going to be a single child pregnancy. Um, There was only one heartbeat detected. Mm -hmm. Multiples did not run in his family. This was one baby. 
However, on October 4th, 1958, Florence Pollock gave birth to two healthy, identical twin girls who they named Jillian and Jennifer. Oh, yes. This is wild. It gets they, there, there, they there's need some, therapy. Uh, there's yeah. there's some even crazier stuff. And I, I agree. Okay. They definitely needed therapy. Um, I. Florence was very skeptical. So one of the, a lot of the skeptics say, oh, you know, a lot of these um, characteristics were probably brought on during her pregnancy by her wish mm-hmm. for, for this to, to happen. But yeah. she was like, John was on the one end of the spectrum. It's going to happen. They're going to be reincarnated. His wife was like, nah, man, you're, you're, yeah. you're barking up the wrong tree. So in an article published in the Vancouver Sun in 1966, John said, quote, when my wife became pregnant after the girl's death, I felt an instinct tell me that our girls were coming back to us. I didn't want to believe it. And my wife certainly would not think of it, end quote. Over the course of the next seven years, the girls would be studied by researchers around the world in attempts to prove or disprove their father's belief that they were the reincarnated spirits of his older girls. And there, there were some eerie similarities between the twins and the older sisters. So Jennifer had a birthmark on her face that was nearly identical to a scar that Jacqueline had received in a fall as a toddler. Hmm. And both girls were genetically identical, but Jillian did not have the birthmark on her forehead. Huh. Well, aren't birthmarks um, environmental? Not necessarily. I don't think so because they both had birthmarks on their hip that was the very same place that Jacqueline had a birthmark. So hmm. again, that was something that kind of jumped out in all the articles um, that it was very, it was an anomaly that one of them had a birthmark that the other one didn't have. Hmm. Um, Jillian was also slender like Joanna, while uh, Jennifer was a little stockier built like Jacqueline. They also displayed behaviors that were eerily similar to Joanna and Jacqueline. They were very, very close. I mean, twins. And like Joanna, Jillian liked to mother her sister. Jillian also seemed to be more mature and sociable than her twin, and she also enjoyed costumes and acting, which were characteristics of Joanna. Hmm. When the girls were learning to write, Jillian picked it up quickly while Jennifer Jennifer struggled, and she would often grip the pencil firmly in her fist and write that Mm -hmm. way. You know, that's got to suck being a kid and everything you do, your parents are like, your dead sister did it that way. Right. Just like you guessed it, Joanna did that while she was learning to write. Um, Outside of these behaviors and their physical similarities, the girls often spoke as if they were their elder sisters or recognized things that they shouldn't be able to. Both girls were terrified of cars and in one instance cried out, quote, the car is coming for us, end quote. These parents need therapy. I just wonder if the parents talk like, a lot about it. This is traumatic. But, I, I, but who knows? Yeah, I don't but say. we'll get into it. So yeah. the parents even recalled the spooky conversations the girls had. Quote, I don't want it to happen to me again. It was horrible. My hands were full of blood, as were my nose and mouth. I couldn't breathe, Jennifer told Jillian. Don't remind me, Jillian replied. You look like a monster and something red came out of your head. Oh, my God. 
I just I feel like the dad especially is like he's 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 the main and we'll we'll get yeah. more into that in a minute. So at the age of two, the twins began asking for toys that had belonged to their sisters. They even um, they asked for two specific dolls that had been stored away in the attic, and they gave them the same names that their sisters had given the dolls, Mary and Susan. Again, this is um, j- just just the information that was presented. Uh, so creepy. The family after the girl's death, they had moved away from the little town they were from, Hexham. So they moved back and the twins asked to visit an amusement park and talked about it in detail. And they had never been there before. Um, The girls seemed to know their way around the house, which was the same house that the family had lived in before and even acted like they knew who their neighbors were without Hmm. hesitation. My son Sawyer will walk up to anybody and start a conversation like they're his best friend. So, right. Kids do weird shit. I don't know about that. So several scientists studied the strange case of the Pollock twins, including an American psychiatrist named Ian Stevenson. He published a book called Children Who Remember Their Past Lives that featured the girl's story in 1987. The girls were also interviewed by an Indian parapsychologist named Dr. Hamindra Banerjee in 1966, but I couldn't find any additional information other than the fact that he flew to England and conducted a six-hour interview with the girls and their parents. It was an article that was published in, um, in a Canadian newspaper, so I know for a fact that it happened because it was there in the newspaper. Right. Um, as the twins grew older, their memories of the past lives faded which is allegedly a common thing when, yeah. when dealing with reincarnation. I've seen that where yeah. it's like the past life feels like they were acknowledged. So they mm-hmm. move on. Right. Yeah. Um, as they grew up, they were skeptical about the idea that they were the reincarnated. Sisters. You don't say they went along <laughs> with it. They said, okay, if you say so pops, but they were skeptical yeah. about it. Uh, Florence, died in 1979 and john died in 1985 and that's the only information i can find on either one of them and when you search the names jillian and jennifer pollock a picture of two dark-haired twins often appears with articles of the girls Mm -hmm. this is not them oh these are two american twins that somehow their image is frequently affiliated with anything about these two girls it is not weird the picture i am sharing on our socials is from an actual newspaper article and these blonde haired girls do not resemble the twins in that most often found picture at all in fact they kind of look like uh elizabeth olsen Uh, um and i read somewhere and i think it was on reddit so you know take that as you will (laughs) right that this picture is is a set of american twins that has nothing to do with reincarnation and in fact when you when you start searching for images you see a a more recent picture of those two twins grown up with pictures of them so so again totally total misinformation out there on the internet about this (gasps) oh shocked Um, i know really (laughs) um Skeptics will point out that the similarities between the girls could be attributed to the influence of their father and his desire and belief in them being Joanna and Jacqueline, and also the fact that their instances of remembering 
air quotes, Mm -hmm. uh, past events occurred only in the company of their parents. Imagine that. However, I'd like to believe that reincarnation does happen. And in some cases, there's a glitch in the universe that allows you to recall past experiences, even if it's only for a brief time. And so ladies, whether or not this case of these twin girls is a true representation of reincarnation, what what do y'all think? I you think know, so. I think, I, I mean. I would like to think it happens, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. I've just, it's like, I, when you started in on the story, it's like, oh yeah, I've heard of this one. But I've also heard of like other ones where Mm -hmm. like there was a kid in india who oh yeah knew about the guy's second family that nobody fucking knew about you know so i mean i do think that there is evidence for it in the world i know in certain i think buddhism is one of those religions where Mm -hmm. you do come back until you know, you learn your lessons and you don't always necessarily come back as a person. If you got to come back as a cat to learn something, you come back as a cat to learn something. Can I please come back as a cat? Uh, whoever is reincarnated into Gwen has an attitude problem. So. Boy, doesn't she, though? Oh, let me. You might have got Betty Davis I, since, I, they're, since they're so baby Jane. I and, got um, Betty and, and Joan. Blanche. And let me tell you, they're a handful. <laughs> I cannot remember the name of this movie and I can't even, if I could remember an actor who's in it, that would make it so much easier. But there was this movie from like the early nineties and this, this man died and he went to heaven and it was the way it was set up was that it was like, there were souls in heaven that hadn't been born yet. And he fell in love with this girl in heaven and she was given her chance to go live on earth. And he somehow persuaded the powers that be to let him go to earth because he, he just could not live without her. And he was given like until the age of 30 to find her, but he would have no knowledge of her when he got there. So it was all about him living his life and how they came to be together and remembered each other. And damn it, I wish I could remember the name of that movie or someone who was in it, but it was such a sweet little movie. And, you know, things like that, you know, I'm, I like to look on the bright side and feel like there's gotta be something to this. Yeah. Like I said, whether, whether or not these girls were reincarnated or not, you know, there are so many just, one-offs where yeah these girls were definitely traumatized by their dad absolutely absolutely (laughs) but i do think that it does i do think it happens Mm -hmm. i i I don't think the dad meant any harm right no i I don't think he he was was mourning deeply deeply grief and grief makes you do crazy things and this Um, is at a time in history where you didn't go to therapy in the no not at all no like that wasn't a thing yeah, and men were expected to suck it up and move right. on. Deal yeah, with it. I mean to lose your two daughters so and such young, a violent and so violent, right. and sudden. I yeah, mean, I mean, I, I definitely feel for the dude, yeah. but it's like looking at it with a modern lens. You're like, oh god, this whole family needs therapy, yeah. and I feel bad yeah. for the girls having to, right. as you say, as it's like you said, Hannah. They are always probably being judged and compared to exactly. I can't this, the other sisters, and well, this sister did it this way, and this one did it that way. Like you can't. So even you're be going to so you even can't be if yourself, they, right? And that's in the thing two separate in these, ways, right? 
that's the thing with these kind of unhealthy situations is that they will start to do things. Okay. It makes dad happy when I do this Mm -hmm. because, and so, yeah, if you say Joanna did it this way, Mm -hmm. you're going to keep doing that because you see how happy it makes your dad, you know, it's just, it's a vicious cycle. Well, and then there's that. And then I figure too, it's also, you're a twin. So you're always getting compared to your twin. And right. You can't so you be do yourself want to differentiate. Because, yeah. yeah. And then you can't be yourself too, because of the dead sister. And then you have the twin sister and there's just, it, that's a lot. And then some characteristics are just genetic. Yeah. Yes. And that's right. That's something I've noticed having, you know, the two kids, you know, there's things about Bonnie that sh- she does it the exact same way that Sawyer did when he was her age and you know her response is exactly the same or she'll you know how she does something and it's just there's your genetic you they both came from the same two people so obviously there's gonna be similarities there that yeah I mean they're siblings yeah yeah. you know and so maybe it was just genetics that led the one twin to write with her hand in a fist. And maybe, you know, they were just, you know, they said one of them liked to play act. So maybe, you know, they knew their sisters had died in a car accident. Right. You know, there's, there's anyway. Well, I do things like my biological father who did not raise me Mm -hmm. at all. And so, but I'll do things and my mom will be like, please stop acting like David. And I'm like, what? (laughs) Yeah. I didn't even do yeah. anything, you know, and but it's just inherent mm-hmm. in your makeup, you know. Yeah. And you know, I just I know we're all on TikTok and I know we've all seen it. There's so many TikToks of listen to this crazy thing my two year old said of oh, something yeah. they kids would never say creepy shit. Kids say creepy <laughs> stuff all the time. And so scary as shit. Part of me is like, yeah, sure, kids are creepy. And the other part's like, I don't know, maybe they did. You know, maybe I I would like to think we don't just get the one go around. Um, but I don't know. Um, there's a lot of things. It's like I was talking with Kim at the cemetery about over the weekend. I just wish the world was a little more magical than I think it probably mm-hmm. truly is. Right. And, and it bums me out to think that all of this just comes down to science. And I'm a big believer in science, obviously. And I'm a big yeah. proponent in believing in it and all that. But at the same time, I'm like, I kind of wish there were some things out there that were paranormal supernormal supernatural whatever you want to call it that is just beyond our comprehension and will always be right we're just I, not meant to know it yeah and right. i just i just and because it, i mean there's always things out here that are weird little coincidences and you're like that's weird i mean it's like prime example i did a tiktok on Ernestine and Hazel's which is a haunted bar in Memphis Mm -hmm. and it was so weird all the little coincidences and how all these different people were talking to me about it and no one knew and and so they talk about it and be like wait I'm researching that right now and then I would say something to someone else about it and they were like well so-and-so told me you were researching it so I thought I would and it was this weird thing of all of a sudden I felt like Ernestine was hollering at me Mm -hmm. from beyond the grave because I had all these different people coming up to me and talking to me about it so I'm like there's something where energies the universe yeah no definitely because I mean that that was my experience with you know I was laid off uh in July of 2020 because of COVID and 
you know, had my heart broken several times over jobs, but the universe kind of came back around right. and yep. landed me in the perfect spot. And I, you know, it was a cosmic situation that, mm-hmm. I mean, every little thing fell into place for me. Yeah. And that the universe has a way of looking out for people, even if at the time you feel like the universe is out to get exactly. you, yeah. Yeah. things will come back around and it just, it, it there's there's something there's there's some oh yeah and that's what I tell you girls I always trust the universe's timing Mm -hmm. because the universe always puts me exactly where I'm supposed to be it's just above our pay grade right exactly (laughs) exactly and then sometimes like you are somebody else's karma Mm -hmm. without you knowing it you know sometimes you're in a place to teach somebody else something yep Mm mm-hmm so, yeah. Well, deep thoughts with the cemetery rogel. I like it. So, like it. if you want to send us your thoughts on whether reincarnation is nice real or your star or your stories, you can email us at cemeteryrowpod at gmail.com. We are also on social media channels. We have a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All handles are at cemeteryrowpod. um and talk to us we love it yes yes please um leave us good reviews and subscribe and all that jazz um thank you to derek our editor thank you to revenge body for our wonderful theme music and come back um the week of thanksgiving we are going to talk about tombstones that list the cause of death we're gonna try to lighten the mood for you ladies let's see let's see if uh hannah can find something dark and depressing oh i'm going to i'm gonna find something savage just watch i'm sure you will if anyone can it's hannah i can think of two separate stories that i want to cover one is i'm sorry i shouldn't say this but it's it's not funny but it's funny one is hilarious the other one is not but you've got to um, do the hilarious one you've already teased us about it well so it's you... so it's so um short i don't know yeah. a lot on it well you can do, so two. I may do both of them i may yeah, do both no, but then do there's both like another them. i can think of like a third one that i also <laughs> want to do too so it's like mm-hmm. what do i do i'll figure yeah. it out we'll figure it out yeah great we got we got a little bit of time so yeah anyway yeah tune in next time folks all right yeah. thank you bye, bye. bye.